Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew chapter 16, going back there, the reference that we just read actually begins in verse 13, that passage. It says, and when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Now Jesus is not asking because he's insecure. (laughs) Jesus is not asking because he doesn't know. Jesus is not asking what are people saying about me? What are they saying out there behind my back? What's all the gossip? What's the word on the street? No, he is not asking so he can know. He's asking so the disciples can know. He's asking so they can know. Because look, you can only walk to the level and degree of revelation that you have acquired. You can only walk according to the level and degree of revelation that you have acquired. How does God operate in our lives? He reveals things to us. He reveals things. He reveals who he is. He reveals who you are. He reveals what his plan is. He reveals what his purpose is. He reveals what you have. He reveals what you don't have. He reveals who you are not. He's a revealer. This is why we need the the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's the leader. He's the guide. He will lead us into all truth. He will guide us into all truth. Jesus even told his disciples one time, there's many more things I want to share with you and tell you, but I can't. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reveal these things to you. And so only by revelation would these disciples be able to truly know the answer to this question, who am I? Who am I? Sometimes God is asking us questions, not because he doesn't know, but because he wants you to know. Sometimes the challenge in life is so you can gain access to an understanding you didn't have before or a revelation that you never saw before. And so he's asking, who do men say that I, the son of man, Am. Notice he said son of man and not son of God. Because he's, he's, he, he's reconciling his earthly self to his godly self. He's reconciling, I'm 100% man, but I've walked this earth, uh, 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 you know, 100% God in a flesh suit just like you. Who do people say that I am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The best that they could do was get him to imitate or be like something they had already experienced. All of these men, none of these people actually were alive at the same time, actually met these people. These were prophets of old that they just heard about. Prophets of old that they just were taught about or heard their words or saw their writings. Uh, They think that you are John the Baptist. Now, they knew John the Baptist, of course, one of the prophets that, that was the prophet, the forerunner, the foregoer of Jesus. But the other two, Elijah, Jeremiah, all they're doing is trying to say, well, he's like. He's like. 
Jesus isn't like anything else. (laughs) Jesus' ministry was unlike anything else. Jesus' ministry was disruptive. Jesus' ministry was countercultural. Jesus' ministry broke all the rules. Jesus' ministry was, was on a daily basis exponentially greater than any of what these three men, was exponentially greater than what all three of these men had produced combined. Jesus wasn't like anything else. But they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, and some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? What, what level of revelation have you come to acquire? What have you seen? What's the conclusion you've come to? What have you come to understand about me and about my ministry? He's asking the disciples, the ones that were the closest to him. He's asking the disciples, the ones that, that, uh, that, that traveled with him and ate with him and, 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 and saw all these miraculous signs, all these miracles, all these signs, all these wonders, heard all these powerful, amazing teachings. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. You are the Christ or the anointed one. Christ isn't Jesus's last name. Christ means the anointing, the anointed one and his anointing. So you're the anointed one that those other prophets talked about. You're the anointed one that the other prophets foretold of. You're the anointed one that they all were saying was one day coming. You're the anointed one. You are the son of God. This is what Peter speaks up and says. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is what Jesus says in verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't learn this on your own understanding. You didn't acquire this in school. You didn't get this through an education system. That You know, there's great things that we can acquire and gain in life uh, just by learning things. But then there are things that God wants to reveal to you. There's things that God wants to make known to you that can't be learned, can't be taught, can't be acquired through all those other categories of life. There is a, 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 an overwhelming knowledge, a revelation that God wants wants to open you up to. And he says, you didn't learn this. You didn't acquire this on your own. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. No, he says, um, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loosed on earth, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In this moment and in this conversation, 
Jesus not only reveals who he is to his disciples, he reveals who his church is and what his church is called to accomplish. We've said this before. It's one of my favorite quotes, if not my favorite quote. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. What does that mean? That means if I don't know why something was created, what it's for, then I have a high risk and probability of abusing it or misusing it. If I don't know why it was created for or if I don't use it according to that design and function. So I have to know why something was created to be able to understand how to properly use it. If I don't know why, then I'll miss the how. I'll miss the what. And so this is what we have done in society, in life, is we have recreated purposes for many things in our lives. Because we misuse them and we abuse them for the wrong purposes. We see all kinds of things in life abused and misused. We see all kinds of things that were designed for a specific intent, for a specific purpose. You know, medication has a purpose. Medication has a function to it. There was a reason why it was particularly created. But if you don't use it, According to the, see, directions and instructions follow purpose. Directions and instructions allow you to use something according to what it was designed for. So if I ignore the directions and the instructions, then I am prone to abuse of, of, the, of whatever it is. I'm prone and I will, I will risk compromising its effectiveness because I don't use it for what it was designed for. Ibuprofen has very specific instructions. Take one or two every, I don't know, four to six hours for minor pains, right? If you break a bone, the ibuprofen will not cure the bone that is broken will not heal the bone, will not set the bone in place. It will give a mild sedative to the pain, probably so mild you won't even know it's working. So what do you do? You bump up to a stronger one. But we don't use the stronger ones for lesser conditions. We don't use the stronger medications for a headache. Or a paper cut. Give me some lower tabs. I split my finger open on a piece of paper. No, it doesn't work like that. Why? Because it has a specific function, a specific use, a specific design to it. And if I don't use it according to its design, according to its purpose, I will abuse it. And we see people that abuse medication. But there's all kinds of things that are abused when we don't use it for what it was designed for. Marriage gets abused because you don't know why you got married in the first place. 
Hello? And there's instructions and directions that the word of God gives us for a healthy, godly marriage. And when I don't follow the instructions, I can't be mad when I don't arrive at the right results. Hello? We don't treat a spouse with honor and respect. We don't follow the command of God's word and how we even get married properly in the first place. When we ignore instructions, we compromise the effectiveness and then we blame the what? We blame the marriage. When we were the ones that didn't follow the instructions, we were the ones that didn't follow directions. We abuse our jobs because you don't know why you're working a job in the first place. You all think you're working a job to make money. Don't you? Don't look straight ahead. Don't look at your neighbor. Look right here. Come on. You don't know why you you don't know why you're waking up tomorrow. The alarm clock's telling you to get up. The money's telling you to get up, not your will, not your want to. A paycheck. The end of the week or the end of the two weeks or the end of the month. Because you think that's why you're going to work. And you have no clue that God is sending you into an environment with purpose and influence. Yeah. No, I'm just here to collect the check. And so you abuse it and then you get mad at the job when it doesn't produce the results when you were the one that didn't follow the directions and the instructions in the first place. Why do we do this as a society? Why do we take something that was designed for one thing, misuse it, abuse it, try to get a different result out of it, and then get mad when it doesn't produce the the desired results, the results we think it should produce, what we think it should be in our lives? And in this moment, Jesus is giving clarity on why the church exists. And I'm going to spend the rest of this month talking about purpose and talking about vision. I do this every year. I usually do it in August, but since a lot of us were just getting back in the building, of course, I picked Labor Day weekend where half the church is back out of the building again. Everybody's glad that something's opened up. I don't know what's up. I don't know if you're at the beach or I don't know where you're at. But we're going to talk about the purpose of the church. Because we have to keep vision before us. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 tells us that we are to take the vision that God gives us, write it down and make it plain so that those who read it can run with it. Well, if I, as your pastor, am not making the vision clear and the vision plain, guess what? You'll come up with a different vision. And when you have two visions, it causes division. So that means that we're not all on the same track and we're not all going to the same place and we're not all arriving at the same conclusion. Vision is what guides our life. Vision is not what has happened. Vision is what is yet to happen. I'll say that again. Vision is not what has happened. I'm not gonna give you a recap of what we have done over the last almost nine years. We'll celebrate nine years next month in October. Almost nine years and give you a recap of what our vision looks like. No, God's bringing us into stuff we haven't even seen yet. We haven't even touched yet. We haven't even dived into yet. We haven't even uh, uh, begun to even scratch the surface of yet. There are, there are uh, opportunities available to us that we haven't even gotten a hold of. 
because it's vision. Sight is seen with the natural eyes. Vision is seen with the spiritual eyes. Vision is not something you see by looking around. Vision is what you see by looking ahead. I said, vision is not something you see by looking around. If you look around, you'll get discouraged. If you look around, you'll get discouraged. If you look ahead, you get encouraged. If you look ahead and see what God wants to do, And starting right here in Matthew chapter 16, we have to understand for what purpose we are here. Because it'll help bring clarity to everything else we do. The instructions and the directions make sense when you understand the purpose. Right? The instructions and directions make sense. When I'm building something, building a... a, 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 And when I say building, that's very minimal. I use that word loosely. (laughs) When I am putting together something with all the pieces that were already made available and the little bag that's got all the nuts and screws and bolts and and all that and, and, you know, all the tools that come with it. When I'm doing that, it's helpful to know what the end goal is supposed to look like. It's usually on the outside of the box, right? It's usually, unless you're shopping at Ikea and then it's a guessing game. You got a fat little guy on the inside with no words whatsoever and you have to guess what he's doing. Ikea uses no words. I don't know why. I don't know what form of communication. I don't know if it costs that much more to print the words of the instructions rather than some round dude just showing you what to do. That's half the battle is just trying to figure out what are you trying to do so I know what to do. But typically, you have an end goal. You have the purpose in mind. You know what it's supposed to look like when it's all compiled, when it's all put together. And so that helps me. Because when I'm following the instructions, sometimes it doesn't feel like following this instruction gets me to my end goal. Sometimes it feels like I can take a detour. Do I really need that piece? Is that really important? I don't need that. It doesn't have to look like that. It doesn't have to go on that way. No, it helps if you what? Follow the instructions. Look at your neighbor and say, just follow the instructions. Tell them, just follow the instructions. It's way easier. Us guys, we don't like instructions, do we? We throw out the instructions. I got this. It's Swedish. We could put this together. We're Americans. We know how to put together furniture. I don't need a Swedish company telling me how to put together furniture. And then you leave stuff out. You get 10 steps down and realize I skipped step number two. And I got to undo 10 steps to get back to where I need to be for that step. Or you just live with it and duct tape it. You know, there's other remedies. That's just your way of doing it. I can show you a new way. So we have to understand the purpose. The purpose is the end goal, but it helps us along the way when we can point to an end goal and say, this is why we're doing what we're doing today, because this is where we're trying to get. This is what we're trying to produce. This is where we're trying to be. This is the the church that we're called. And, And look, when you're defining purpose, you're also defining what you won't do. A lot of times people just accept everything, say yes to everything. 
I remember when we first started the church, I mean, we had people that we, they wanted to do outreach ministry. We were like 12 months old, doing outreach ministry, doing kids' Christmas programs, Christmas musicals, uh, doing this and doing that and having this ministry and that ministry. And we had to quickly learn that we are not just going to chase everything, try and be, be, do, 30 per, do, do 10 things at 30%. We can do one thing at 100%. You got to define what you are. And when you define what you are, you're also defining what you are not. You're defining what you will and you're defining what you will not. You're defining what you have and you're defining what you have not. Amen? Jesus says in this passage that the the church will be identified as a picture of authority. As a picture, this is not a passive church that he's identifying here. This is a church that is going to tear down the gates of hell. This is a church that is going to bind and loose. This is a church that has power and authority. But I'm afraid the church today does not reflect wholly and fully what this verse says about us especially in America. I'm not going to get on a soapbox. I'm not going to get on, you know, what everybody else is not doing. That's a waste of time. But we do need to look at our surroundings. And we do need to recognize this simple fact. We can be doing more. We can be doing more. Unfortunately, in America... We have the comfortable church. We have the preferential church. If Jesus came to one of our churches today, we would have to teach him how to do it. (laughs) We'd have to teach him how to do it. We'd have to show him how we do it. We'd have to, to show him why we're doing what we're doing. We'd have to teach him about a, a, a worship set and, and worship leaders. And, and, and we'd have to teach him because to him, everybody's a worshiper. These individuals on this stage are here to lead you. They've been gifted and are anointed and talented to play these instruments. But they are not here for you to watch. They're not here. Worship is not just something we do to open up a service. Worship is not something that they're doing to entertain you or perform for you. They are leading you in worship. If we're not all worshiping, if we're not all engaging in worship, then we're not worshiping as a church. I can't say I went and played basketball today if my legs don't play basketball. If I show up on a court and my legs say, I'm not participating. I'm not, I don't want to play any basketball. I don't want to do all that moving around. The rest of you are on your own. Well, it doesn't work out very well, does it? You ever seen a basketball player on a court, on a team, that doesn't move his legs? Doesn't work. The whole body has to engage. The whole person has to engage. 
as a church, we are the body of Christ. We all have a responsibility when we come in here. All of us. It doesn't work if only a few are performing tasks. You know as well as I do, when a part of your body shuts down and decides not to continue to work, you go get it checked out. Don't you? If it gets to not working bad enough, right? Some of y'all have learned to live with inadequacies and deficiencies. Rather than correcting and confronting the issue and saying, I need to go ahead and get this checked out because it's, it's, it's definitely not helping you, right? You got a stomach problem, you got a digestive problem. You might try to live with that or deal with that for a period of time, but eventually it's gonna get bad enough. I'm not keeping anything down or it's going right through me or I'm not getting the nutrients from the food or whatever the issue is that's going on or it's painful. Eventually, it's gonna reach past the threshold where I can just deal with it, cope with it, and I have to address it. Why? Because the whole body's got to function. The whole body's gotta be putting in its share. And if any part of the body is not, it's working against the overall mission, not with the overall mission. Are y'all with me? So Jesus is giving us a clear picture of the purpose that we were created for. He says, I will build my church. Notice first off, he has not delegated the building of his church to anybody. He says, I will build my church. This isn't up to you to build it and design it and come up with other functions and other ideas and other designs. Um, and, and well, it's okay if we tweak this and change this. No, he says, I will build it. I will build my church. He says, you can build a church, but you will not build my church. I will build my church. He's not delegating that out. He's the contractor. He's the engineer. He's the one seeing it through to completion. He's the one that says, I have the design. I have the plans. I have the purpose. I have the intent. I will build it. I will design it. I will put it together. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If the, if the gates of hell are prevailing against a church, it's not his church. The first marker and the first identifier, the first indicator that Jesus gives for his church is authority. It's authority. The first indicator he gives, this is how you will recognize my church. This is what my church will accomplish. This is what my church will do. The first indicator he gives is authority. Now this word church that he uses is the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesia. And it was not a new word to them. When he said this word to them, this wasn't, a word that they were unfamiliar with. They knew exactly what he meant when he said church. They had already seen it modeled before him. Ecclesia literally means this, a group of people called out from a general population to serve in a government capacity to affect society. I'll say that again. Ecclesia literally means a group of people called out from the general population to serve in a government capacity to affect society. 
a group of people called out from a general population to serve in a government capacity to affect society. So when they hear, I will build my church, they're not thinking like you and I are. They're not thinking a building with a steeple or a cross. They're not thinking an event that takes place every Sunday morning. They're not thinking about a place that has pews and seats and a preacher and a pastor uh, and a worship team and kids ministry. Uh, They're not thinking those things. That is not what he's even referring to at all. He's not referring to a building. He's not referring to an organization. He's not referring to an event that's on a calendar that has a scheduled time. By the way, we have a scheduled time that we start. We don't have a scheduled time that we stop, just so you know that. There's no end time. We end when we end. Typically, we end around the same time. And I'm not even going to tell you what time that time is because you're going to be looking for that time in about 14 minutes. No, that's not what Jesus is referring to, and that's not what they're hearing either. That's not what they were thinking. He said, I will build my group of people. I will assemble. Let's use the word assemble. I will assemble my group, my people, a group of people that are called out from the general population, called out in character, called out in integrity, called out in assignment, called out in authority, called out in purpose. That means I'm a part of the general population, but I don't conduct myself as a part of the general population. That means that I now am operating in a position of decisiveness and authority to legislate the general population. This was a government word. This was not a churchy word. This was not a religious word. This was a government term that Jesus used. Jesus is using something that is relatable to them. Jesus is using a word that they understand. Jesus is using a word that they can comprehend and they can picture because they've seen Ecclesia before. They've seen, they know who those people are that are called out from the general population that help make decisions and legislate things for the betterment and the benefit of the community. They've seen this. And he says, I will assemble a group of people that are called out from the general population that will be uh, uh, making decisive action and decisive legislature for the betterment of a community that the gates of hell will not even be able to stop. He's talking about a people. What we are conducting ourselves in right now, this is called a church service. That's what this is. But this moment and this event is not church. 
you are. I said, you are. You are the church. The church was never meant to be a people, never meant to be an organization with a 501c3 attached to it. The church was never meant to be a, an event that just shows up on the calendar that we check off the box and say, I did this and I did that. The church that he's talking about was a group of people called out from society, called out from the general population to make decisive action and legislature that would help change society for the better. That means a community that doesn't know their church's presence should never be. Valdosta should know Anchor Faith Church is here. Valdosta should know you are there. Lowndes High School should know there's an ecclesia among me. Your job should know. Our government should know. Our businesses should know. Our education system should know. Our entertainment system should know. Ecclesia is here. And the community should be better because of what we do. If your job or your area of influence is worse because you're there, you're doing something wrong. Hello? If they would be better off without you, we're doing something wrong. If you look just like them, you're doing something wrong. If you're just as lost as they are, you're doing something wrong. If they're sick and you're sick, we're doing something wrong. If they're broke and you're broke, we're doing something wrong. Hello? The church is the ecclesia. is a group of people disconnected, brought out of the general population so that we can make decisive action in legislature to better the general population. They should be better because we're there. They should be better because we're here. They should be, our community should be better because we exist. If not, we're doing something wrong. The Ecclesia is part of a governing body designated to carry out laws and guidelines for the benefit of a community. We are a governing body. We are part of a kingdom. There's nothing religious about what we're doing. This is kingdom business. This is government business. God's answer for the earth today is government. Always has, always will be. Which one, the left or the right? The Democrats or Republicans? Republicans. No, neither. Wrong answer. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the answer for the hope of the world. The kingdom of God is the government system that this world ought to be operating according to. And they're not. And they're not. But Jesus is assembling and building a group of people called out from the general population to learn and discover what are the, how does the kingdom of God operate? 
what are those instructions and what are those guidelines and, and what are the ways that I can bring the kingdom of God from heaven to the earth? That's what the church is for. That's why you and I exist. You and I exist to bring God's kingdom, God's rule, God's domain, God's authority into this realm. It changes everything. Changes everything. I didn't get saved to go to heaven. I didn't get saved so I could walk in all the blessings that God has for me. I didn't get saved because I was tired of doing it on my own. I didn't get saved because I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't get, those are all uh, uh, reasonable reasons to get saved, but they're the wrong reasons. They're the wrong motives. God has one reason for you to become born again. One reason, one, one purpose for you to come out of darkness into light, to renounce the ways of the world and to take on the ways of the kingdom. One reason so you can bring his kingdom from heaven to the earth. A general population called out from among the community, from among society, That's who you, are, you and I are. That's what he's calling us to do, to be the ecclesia. Jesus did not create the church to be passive with the things that are happening in the world. I feel like all summer long I've worked diligently to encourage you, but to also to spur you to action in these times. In these moments of devastation, in these moments of, of issues and struggles and conflict, can I encourage you with something? The church, historically, has always advanced greater in the midst of adversity than it ever did in comfort. Historically, the church has always fared far better in the midst of conflict, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of being challenged, in the midst of opposition than it ever did in the midst of comfort, than it ever did when you got your way, than it ever did with our preference, than it ever did with do I have enough services and one of them meets the block of window on Sunday. It's not even good enough that we have one hour or, or one day of the week that fits us. Now we want one hour of that day that fits us. Do you have a 9, 11, 12, 1, 5, 7? Come on. We love our preferences in church. Comfort can't handle conflict. You can have one or the other, but you can't have both. You can either have conflict or you can have comfort. You can either, you can either grow or you can be comfortable, but you can't have both. You want to be comfortable, you'll stay right where you're at. We'll stay just as ineffective as we always have. No, the comfortable, comfortable church is not going to be the church, the ecclesia that changes the world in these last days. It's not happening. I'm telling you, it's not happening. You know, I'm hearing of things happening out in California. 
and some of the legislation that is being brought against the church. And I'll be honest with you, you know, of all states for it to come to, they need it. A lot of times, conflict and challenge comes to those that have grown the most comfortable. But there's a part of me that's a little envious, if I can just be honest with you. I dare them to tell us we have to close our doors. I dare them to tell us how to worship, when to worship, when to meet, when we can't meet. And the day's coming. The day's coming. But I've always seen great results from great challenge for those that will answer the call. Not everyone will. But I tell you what, there's no greater way to weed out the passive from the active than bring a little conflict and challenge. Find out who's really on board. Find out who's really engaged. Find out who's playing patty cake, you know, sissy games with the church and those that are really serious about following God and answering the call and bringing hope to a lost and dying world. You find out real quick with some challenge and with some conflict and with some opposition. The ease that we have today in America, the, the ease of access, you know, access and, 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 you know, have you ever noticed that we, when we get more of something, we don't always get better? We have more ways to communicate than any other generation or any other time period on this planet. Well, they had to start out by writing on tablets of stone. That was a form of communication. If you wanted to tell somebody something in a town over, we have the greatest ease of communication, and we are the poorest communicators that this planet has ever seen. We are the worst communicators this planet has ever seen. Having more doesn't mean better. Hello? Y'all good? Y'all all right? We need to go back to champion you are my champion. Yeah? Y'all doing okay? Function. Design. Purpose. Intent. Sometimes you got to go back to the beginning. Purpose can always be found. If you ever get lost and you can't find your purpose... Go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. Because that's where purpose shows up. Purpose is created before the person is created. Why something exists before the something exists? The only time something doesn't have purpose when it is created is when it is an accident. Right? Isn't that what we say? Did you do that on accident or did you do that on purpose? Purpose means there was intent before the action took place. 
And I can tell you right now, the God I serve is a God of purpose. The God I serve is a God that expresses his intent before the thing shows up. Before you were in your mother's womb, you were born. I knew you. I had created you. I put a purpose inside of you. There was purpose inside of you before you were inside of your mom. Before you came into this world, there was already purpose. God doesn't bring anything into this world and then tries to figure out what it's going to do. He knows exactly what it will do. He knows what it will accomplish. He says that his word will go forth and it will accomplish that which he sends it to do. He doesn't even speak without purpose. There are no casual words that God says. Oops, didn't mean that. Can I take that back? He doesn't even speak without intention behind it. But when we lose our purpose, when we lose God's intention, when we lose the why he created something, then it does not function according to its design. And we end up abusing something that was supposed to be a benefit to us. Something that was supposed to help us. Something that was supposed to help this world. We have to discover his purpose. We have to discover why he's doing what he's doing. Worship team, if you come. I had much more that I wanted to say today. But we're going to push it off to next week. Because God wanted to say something else. God wanted you to know that your purpose is so you can rule and to reign. God wanted you to know that your purpose, you were designed, you were created, And you were brought into a church, into his church, into the church to bring his kingdom to earth. That's your purpose. That's your function. That's why we exist, Anchor Faith Church. And that's why you're here, a part of Anchor Faith Church, is to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. The next week, I'm going to get into methods. There's a madness behind the method. Amen? Because what happens is, is we'll get our eyes off of why something was created and we'll start looking at what it's doing and become critical and preferential. Just like people were doing with Jesus. Oh, he's like John the Baptist. Oh, he's like Elijah or one of the prophets. No, what God is doing is not like anything else. We're not trying to imitate anyone or anything. We're trying to fulfill the God-given assignment to bring his kingdom to the earth. I want to be a part of the church the gates of hell will not prevail against. I want to be a part of the church that is binding and loosing I want to be a part of the church that Jesus said, this is why you exist. I want to be a part of the church. I want to be a part of the house. I want to be a part of the work that is fulfilling the original purpose, the original design.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithaboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.